Hey guys, so welcome to the Love What You Do series, speaking with women who have either followed their passion and made a career or they had a hobby that they made a career. So I am really excited for my next guest. Her name is Julie Kent. MBE. Now the MBE and anyone that's listening to this that is British is going to be making fun of me because I'm very American, but it is the member of the British Empire. She sings and plays the saxophone. And when I say we were in a clubhouse room, that's where we met her energy and everything that she was just talking about. It was just unbelievable. So she has done some amazing things. Obviously, she has an MBE, which she's going to tell us a little bit more about. But holy cow, Julie, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Next Stop Crazy Town. Thank you so much for having me on. It's just so exciting. You know, I can't wait to put it all over my social media that, you know, I've done a gig in New York. Right, right, right. It's just so, it's so exciting. And I'm like, just as honored and excited that I have, you know, someone over there in the UK. So I would love for you to start with your quote. Did you bring your quote for today? Where is it? Where is it? I'll do mine as you look. No worries. You don't always need a plan. Sometimes you just need to breathe, trust, let go, and see where the world takes you. Mine is an Abraham Lincoln quote, actually. Oh, I love it. To ease another's heartache is to forget one's own. Oh, I love that. And actually, that will, as I talk, tell you my story, that will kind of make some sense. Excuse me, Mom. Mom, excuse me. Mom, Welcome to Next Stop Crazy Town. This is Juliette Hahn, and I am the host of this weekly pod. I'm going to be sharing with you guys a little glimpse of my crazy world. I'm a mom of three, and I have two crazy boxer dogs. I will have guests some weeks, and some weeks it will just be me, but I will always be talking about uncomfortable things that have happened to me before motherhood or during motherhood. I just want you to know that you are not alone in this crazy world. Things happen that people don't like to talk about. But guess what? I do. I cannot wait for you guys to join me every week just to get a little up. Okay, Julie. So I would love, oh my gosh, I'm, I can't just tell you how excited because you've told me a little bit of your story, which is amazing, amazing. And just, um, I was speechless. I was actually speechless. And um, the fact that you're on talking about it, just, I'm, I'm really honored. So, you know, thank you. Oh, bless you so much. Well, I don't really know where to start, but I suppose I'll start with saying that an MBE in England is something that to get an honour from the Queen is something that you just don't imagine. And I don't know what percentage of the population have an MBE or an OBE or whatever, but I'm sure it's small. And someone nominates you and you don't know anything about it until you get a letter, or in my case, I was at my office and an email came in and it was all capital letters, B-D-O-M with numbers. And I just thought, oh God, this is spam. I better not open this. Right, right. And my husband's words, Julie, don't open anything that is spam. <laughs> and then I'm nosy. I'm naturally nosy. So I thought, if I open it, but don't click on anything, it'll be fine, I'm sure. So I opened it. And at the top, it had like shields and it said cabinet office. And it said, Boris would like to offer me on behalf of the Queen to be a member of the British Empire. Oh, my word. I can believe it. My heart was racing. So I went running downstairs and my husband was in his office. He was on the phone and he just waved his arms at me as if to say, I am having a very important conversation, way more 
important than whatever you are going to tell me. I'm back up the stairs and read the email and it said, because the Queen gives out two lots of honours, one in June when it's her birthday and one New Year and they're called the New Year's honours. And it said that, would I accept it? And I can't believe anyone wouldn't accept Right. If the Queen, I mean, she is in her 90s, you know, and she's going to have to catch up with a lot after COVID. But you go and you are presented to her. You have to curtsy. And then she puts your medal on your whatever you're wearing, you know, and your family. Oh, my gosh. gosh. When I think about it, my heart races. I'm sure that's an unbelievable honor. And I'm honored to be talking to you. I mean, I know we have actually been to the Queen's Garden Party before my husband and I to be invited is quite an honor. But I'll get to why we actually went. So I went back upstairs, read the thing. And it said that we couldn't tell anyone because normally it would be out within a week. But because of COVID, they wanted to award hundreds of other honours and they were going to wait till the autumn. And so for four months, my sister in Australia or my sister at home, I just wanted to tell them, you know, but I thought, no, I could have my head chopped off in the Tower of London or something. So we couldn't say anything. That's really hard. Really hard. And I got the MBE for finding a charity with my husband and trustees called the Emily Kent Charitable Trust. And 30 years of charity work with various charities, really, you know, volunteering. Do you want me to tell you the story of my daughter? I do. I do. So we got married in 1990 and in 92, we had our first daughter. And when she was about two and a half, she kept falling over quite a lot. And the childminder said, you know, she doesn't like walking to school to collect the others. And so I took her to an optician and he said there's something not quite right. So I took her to an eye specialist and he said there's something not quite right. So we went to have a scan at the hospital and we went straight from there in an ambulance to a hospital in Bristol. And they told us that she had a brain tumour the size of a tennis ball in the back of her brain. She was only two and a half. And so then I was telling someone earlier, actually, it's kind of something you can't imagine. And I remember waking up the first morning in the hospital and I didn't want to open my eyes because I was thinking, please let this be a dream. Please let this be a dream. And it wasn't a dream. We had six months really of treatment in Bristol and in Gloucestershire where we live. And she died in June. So we had about six months of treatment. You can't really describe how you feel about it. And we just decided that we would start raising money because at the time, every time she had treatment, we couldn't get her scanned to find out how that treatment, whether it was doing anything or not. Yeah, because children have to be anaesthetized and they could never get a slot with the anaesthetic equipment because there wasn't enough of it. And so we decided the, the money at her funeral started the Emily Kent charity and the first lot of money that we raised we bought new anesthetic equipment so that children could be scanned quicker and put out because obviously they got put out and that started it really and then it just snowballed and for me because I'm I was a teacher uh, teaching music I had the long summer holiday and it gave me some momentum it gave me something to do otherwise Mm -hmm. it was bad enough anyway I would go into her bedroom and smell her dressing gown and things like that, you know, because it's just horrendous. I'm going to pause you for a second because I'm getting just emotional. I mean, I have three kids because I've known people that have lost children that never were able to bounce back. And the fact that you have, and not bounce back, because I know, you know, you never will be the same person, you know, having lost a child. But the fact that you were able to do something in her honor that was able to help other children 
is just unbelievable. Like that's why I'm emotional right now because it's just unbelievable. When I do the public talk, I get emotional as well. You know, it's, it's dreadful because, you know, I'm stood there and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, get your act together, get your act together. But, and then when I come off, people go, oh no, it's fine. It's good to see real emotion. I said, yes, yeah, fine for you to see real emotion, but it's not good for me when I'm trying to get my act together. So you're on holiday. So it was able to give you something to do and something to focus on, yeah. I'm sure. And knowing yeah. that you're helping other children and other families just had to also fill your heart. I mean, everyone got behind us. And at the time, the Bristol Children's Hospital and the Gloucestershire Children's Hospital were building new hospitals. And so they both asked us if we would donate money. And we said we would if at Bristol, we had a ward named after her. And the day oncology was called the Emily Kent Ward. And in Gloucestershire, and it's still there now, the Emily Kent Unit, which is the paediatric oncology And to start with, actually, I find it really difficult to go there, just to walk in and see small children with no hair, just couldn't do it. Honestly, I just had to come back. But actually now, because she would be 29 this year, I can go in and I'm actually now part of the charity that raises money for the Emily Kent, because we had our charity for about seven years. But then we had two other children and we were still raising money and, you know, we'd have an auction and there'd be this amazing picture of her on the screen. And it was very difficult to move on. And I felt like we needed to focus on the children that we did have. And so we finished the charity. So we had the two wards. We bought equipment for children with cancer in our county and we folded it. And I started to raise money for Teenage Cancer Trust and Click Sergeant breast cancer, before I was asked then to become a trustee at the Pied Piper Appeal, which is connected to the hospital that we've got Emily's ward on. So that's so amazing. And you know, I just have to say, I mean, we obviously just met, I heard you talk in a clubhouse room and we connected. But the Mm -hmm. fact that like, what a beautiful soul that you were like, you know what, it's time to close this charity, we've done stuff, you were comfortable enough in who you are, that you were able to be like, I need to focus on my my living children because there's families that that doesn't happen, right? Because they feel guilty and whatever. And I'm sure you've, you had all those emotions, but the fact that you were able to be like, okay, we did some really good things and I'm going to continue to do good things, but I'm going to focus on these two children that I have here now is just beautiful. Yeah, I think it just wasn't good for them. And I think also people, it's very common for people that lose a child to start a charity in their name and they don't want to close it because they feel like that is what is keeping them going in it, the name, they want to keep the name out there. But like you say, we needed to think of our other children and, you know, we have the wards. I just think we've done what we can do. And actually I am still doing it. In fact, I'm trying to raise money for a new kitchen for the parents on the Emily Kent units at the moment. So, you know, it's all come around, which I didn't know about at the time. But at that time, I was also moving into a boarding house and looking after 60 teenage girls. So this was a private school that had nearly 500 pupils, boys and girls, aged 13 to 18. And my house, so it was a big build, big house, all glass fronted. And we had a four bedroom house built inside it. We had 60 girls aged 13 to 18. So in term time, they would be with us all the time. So it's like being a mother, a surrogate mother to 60 teenage right, girls. 60, not one, not one six, not 16, 60. No, six, oh. <sighs> there was never a dull moment, really. Right, because you said you were a teacher. So then you, did you stop teaching and then do this in the boarding house? Well, I've actually got a degree in jazz and light music. 
and I started off at the school just teaching saxophone. So all my lessons were one-to-one, which was really good because if a girl's in floods of tears in the morning, I could just change my lesson, reschedule it and sit with the girl for half an hour and sort out why she's in floods of tears. So I had a very flexible timetable. So I did still teach one-to-one, but also looked after these girls. So we had all our meals in school with all the boarders and then we would go back to the house during the day and the evening. And weekends were the best because I would organise lots of fun things for them to do. How old were your two children? Georgia was about 18 months and Ollie was nearly five. And they loved it because sure. it's a great big site, you know, and it had a swimming pool and a gym and all the grounds. I mean, it was fantastic for them. I'm, to be- I'm sure. And you guys lived on property. And so they yeah. also got to be around people all the time, which is, you know, yeah. I love that. That's amazing. In fact, my son... As he got older, he would stay in the boys' boarding house until they all went to bed. And then he would come home and sleep with us. And then he'd be back for breakfast. And he was really sporty. So he used to play hockey and everything. And we hardly saw him really. Until actually, when he was 16 to 18, he liked to come back earlier and sit with all the girls and chat. I said to him, you will be the best boyfriend ever because all these girls talk about their boyfriends and you should pick up the tips. Oh, what a very cool way, though, for them to be be raised and be around so many different people and have that. That's so special. And I just love that. That's so interesting. Stay tuned for a quick message from my sponsor. Hi, my name is Shari Hodis, and I'm the president of Aura Limited, a proud all-women-owned brand marketing and global sourcing agency. Simply put, we provide fashion-forward swag for any and all of your branding needs. Please visit us at www.auralimitedspelledout.com. And so your passion, though, and the fact that you turned a tragedy into something really special, you're doing stuff with that now, too, correct? Last night, actually, I did a gig online. It's a small charity in Sirencester that someone had said to me, would I do a 20-minute pocket concert? So I did it live on Facebook and people donated. Yeah, I still I still play quite a lot, but I enjoy teaching it, but I can't wait to get back out and start playing because... I used to play, I've played all over the world. I've played in the Burj Al Arab in Dubai. I've played in Bahrain. You know, I'm really looking forward to doing that because once I went into the boarding house, it was more difficult. You know, evenings were the really busy times that parents might ring and say, oh, can you just pop up and see Emily? She's in floods of tears or someone's had a row or someone's said, can you go and sort them out? And I'd have to you know, sit them down and get them to apologise to each other and things like that. And also, while I was at school, I organised for all the sixth form to get involved with local charities. So I would get them going to old people's homes and reading the paper, or I would get them to go to charity shops and help there. Or I really enthused the young people because they were in a private school and I wanted them to realise we would collect food for the homeless. I would take the kids with me when we were dropping off the food to the homeless. So they would see what it's like. You know, I wanted them to appreciate what they had, but how they could give to others, really. But yeah, I was saying to someone earlier, really, just living with 60 teenage girls just made giving with a capital G because you had to give all day long. Right now. And how long did you do that? 20 years. Wow. So, <laughs> but so you loved it too. I mean, you you really enjoyed it. 
it was an honour, really, to be part of young people's lives. I mean, teenagers, it's a really tough time for them. I would say every day now, I comment on one of my girls' posts on Facebook. You know, they've got their own children now, they're married. Right. And I still keep in contact with them. It's absolutely brilliant. It was an honour and it was entertaining in lots of ways, but also, you know, sad in lots of ways. Some of them didn't want to be in a boarding school, but if their parents were in the military... Because they moved around so much, they had consistency by being in a boarding school. So, you know, sometimes the mums didn't really want them to be boarding, but they had to travel with their husbands. So in some ways, I needed to make it great. You needed to be someone that was constant there and you needed to be not only, you know, you were doing your job, but you also had to be emotional. Like You had to be really into what you were doing because these were, and the fact that you loved it, because I guess someone could have been in that position that wasn't as caring and wasn't as loving and it wouldn't have been a good experience for the girls. You can definitely see that you are a compassionate person. You have a very, very big heart. Now, do you think you always had a big heart or do you think the death of your your daughter changed you in that way? When I think back, I remember going on holiday when we were about 15 and we went on holiday and there were lots of things on. They were all like these little villas and a central hotel bit. And there was lots on for the parents. And I remember... I organised a disco for all the young people. We were we were late teens and I don't remember what the charity was, but I said to the man that owned the hotel, I said, can we charge everyone 50p or something and put it in these tins on the bar? Because the bar had collecting tins for a charity. So I was thinking about it the other day. I must stop. I think I'm just bossy and I think I just <laughs> like to be in charge and organise things. And I must have then, and we had a, we had our own little disco and it was brilliant. We put all the money in the collecting tin. So it's obviously a gene that I... Right. Just... You like to see people happy, but you also like to be in charge and get things going. Now, do you, can you relate that back to your childhood? I mean, was your mom or your dad or did you have siblings that also were like that? Or did you take that role as, you know, a sibling or a daughter? I took the role. I was the eldest of three daughters. And my dad was really sporty and he really wanted a son. (laughs) He wanted to go to cricket with him and rugby and fishing. So because he didn't have a son, I did all those things. So I would score for his cricket team and go fishing and go to the rugby. And I was naturally bossy. And, And I think actually when Emily died, I probably didn't deal with it at all because I was too worried about how it would affect my mum and dad because it was the first grandchild, how it would affect my middle sister who had a baby of her own and I didn't want to upset her. And I was so worried about everyone else that I wanted to look after them that I don't think I actually dealt with it very well myself. And all the fundraising also, although it made me feel good because we were doing something good, it didn't actually all come back to hit me until I lost my dad about six years ago. And then it hit me like a double-decker bus. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so I would say to people who do lose a child, and, and it's much now, I'm sure there are counsellors on board and you get lots of help. When we lost her, there wasn't, there wasn't really any support. You know, we're talking 28 years ago. People, you didn't have counselling then. People didn't really talk about their feelings as much then as they do now, do they? We all talk about our feelings all the time. I am naturally want to be in charge. (laughs) But I think, you know, and the bossy, I know that that word, but 
you also, you're a natural leader is what you are. You're a natural leader. So like, you know, the bossy, right. You probably were told you were bossy because you were a female, but if a male was in your spot, they would be called a leader. And that's what you are. You're a true, a true leader. And I love that you kind of filled in for your dad, but you also not only from what I'm hearing is that you're a true leader, but you also are a helper. That is what fuels you. And probably there's times in your life where you were doing things, maybe like, you know, you were helping and you, you really didn't want to, but you didn't want to hurt the person's feelings and you were kind of asking things, but it sounds like you have worked through some of that to be like, okay, like I always, you know, I I say to people, it's taken me a long time because I was, you know, guilt and all that kind of stuff as an adult. There's times where I'm like, you know what? I would rather do something that if I'm going to help, I want it to be fueling me too. It's not going to be authentic if I'm doing it just out of guilt, because then what happens is if you do it out of guilt, then you resent and resentment it was one of the worst things like resentment when you resent. So like whenever I go to do something, I always think, okay, can I actually do this or am I going to resent it later? And so I try to, what I always say is pause your body. That's like my, I say it to my family. I say it to my husband. I say it to people that are like getting crazy. I'm like, just pause your body. And one of the reasons why I say pause your body is I also, I am always moving. I'm a fast mover. I think you Mm -hmm. are too. But if I pause my body and think, okay, is this going to serve me or is this not going to serve me? And I've gotten really, really good in my later life. You know, I'm a virtual health and fitness coach also doing this podcast. But I've learned from that, that I can't say yes to everything and I can't fix everything and I can't help everything. And I need Mm -hmm. to also think of myself. So if it's going to serve me, great. If it's not, then I really need to kind of do things hard and sometimes be like, you know what? It's not my time right now. I'm happy to do something else later. It sounds to me like you've grown from that. But the fact when your dad passed, I can understand that because you probably stuffed, that's the other thing I say, stuffed your feelings. You probably raised to stuff your feelings, right? Nope, we don't talk about feelings. I was raised in a very open house. Um, but I also my mom always says that I didn't keep anything in, that I always just let it out. She's like, so even if we tried to make you stuff, I don't know that you would have. Resent is a, is a really difficult one, isn't it? Because I know I have met people who, when they've lost a child, have been very, why us? You know, why did it have to be us? And I didn't ever think that, although if I did, I thought maybe it was us because we'd done something to help other people. You know, when I meet parents now on the Emily Kent unit, I always thought they wouldn't want to meet me because I'm a bad advert. My child died and they're fighting. Right. When I actually do meet them, they're very, oh, this unit is amazing. Thank you so much. And, you know, we get, we feel so cared for here and this, you know, the nurses are amazing. That's not really all to do with me, but it's, it's great to meet parents and know that they are getting the benefit of that unit, really. I mean, that has to be an amazing feeling. And, you know, I it, it just obviously, again, I can't imagine. And I just really commend you for stepping up and doing that and thinking of other people, even when you were suffering. You were trying to save people from suffering which is just a beautiful thing, you know, and if you do it correctly, because I think there's probably people that do it that are not, you know, not doing it in a healthy way, but it's still helped so many other people. And continue to. So now I'm actually vice chairman of that children's charity, but I'm also chairman of a charity in Cheltenham here that we cook food for people who are struggling with poverty or mental health issues or, and again, you know, it's a completely different thing, a charity that's run completely differently, but to go along and make the teas and coffees and these, these people queue down the road 
and they come and we give them a hot meal in a package and they have a hot drink and we give them a food parcel and they are so jolly and amazing and absolutely amazing considering they have nothing when I leave there I just you know young some young girls in their early 20s and they've got involved in drugs and they just now don't have anything and and when I hear the stories that they were once you know PAs in London and now they are just serving their habits or whatever it's oh just so that's heartbreaking yeah yeah but the fact that you could be there and to help again is amazing but Julie I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story because I know it's you know not always I'm sure easy, but you're doing such amazing things. And I love that you were honored by the queen because of, you know, what you did. Can you tell us a little bit? I know we're keeping this, you know, 30 minutes, but can you tell us when you were able to start telling people and then what you did? Eventually, I had another email to say, we are going to release the information about your honor on Friday, October the 9th at 10.30 p.m., You still cannot tell anyone until Friday, October the 9th. And that's because all the honours have to be published in the London Gazette, which is the royal newspaper, you know, royal marriages or engagements, everything is published in that. And then once it's been published in that, all the other press can publish it. But the press did know three days before because... The press did ring me and say, I felt it like as it was a trick question. So it would be, this is so-and-so from the Gloucestershire Echo, just to say, we know about your award. And I'm thinking, oh my God, is this a trick? I went, how do you know? And they said, oh, it's okay. We've been told by the cabinet office that it's going to be released on Friday. And I went, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so that they could get quotes and everything. So right. my sister came round and I prepared all my social media to be Julie Ken MBE. And it actually happened something like 10 minutes before because it just went mad. You know, all the social media was the honours list because some people are giving, you know, sir or dame or baroness or whatever it is. Right. Uh, I was like, I couldn't keep up with it. I was like, we've got to change it all over now. So like, and then the following day, I had a big lunch with friends because I called them all in the morning. I had contacted some friends who said, keep Saturday free. So I couldn't tell them why. And even my Perfect. sister, I didn't actually tell her until she came to the house on Friday night. And I told her at seven o'clock, so three hours before. Um, and she went, oh my gosh, I, I thought you were going to tell me you were going to be chairman of the Pied Piper. I went, no, I'm going to be an So, and then, you know, we had a day of celebrating, but everything's still there. You couldn't go mad. You couldn't have a lot of people because I would have loved to have had a massive party. And I was thinking if I'd have had a party, I would have turned it into a raffle. So we'd have had a fundraiser while we were <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. I mean, look at that. It really came full circle. I mean, that's what's so brilliant and beautiful. And so you'll, after COVID is over, will there be a proper ceremony? We'll definitely go to London and definitely, it might be Prince Charles. It would be great if it was Prince William, wouldn't it? Oh my word. It will be one of them will give me the medal and it's a beautiful medal. And I'm a member of this. um, It's called the Honourable Company of Gloucestershire. Again, it's sort of charity thing, but we have a lot of dinners so I can wear long dresses. And a lot of the people that are members of this are sirs or OBEs. And they all wear their medals. So I can't wait to have, I'm going to have a plain black dress or something and I'm going to have my medal on it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Can you just share what your social media handle is so people can go check it out and, you know, donate to any of the charities? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I'm actually on Julie Kent MBE 
on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And my website is juliekentmbe.com. And you should be able to find all my charities, I think, are on there. And I'd love to have some more followers. So if you follow me on Instagram, that would be amazing. If you'd like to see my Instagram page, just go mad today. So Julie, can you just give us a little bit of information on like what you're looking to do and help with other people's charities? Well, I'd like to um, go out and tell people how important giving is, how powerful it is and how it can prolong your life and help you to live longer. It's scientifically proven that people that are generous and give live longer. I'm involved myself in a children's charity called the Pied Piper Appeal. I'm involved in a charity for people who struggle with poverty, which is called Cheltenham Open Door. And I'm involved with a disabled children's charity that played football called goals beyond grass but I just want to come out and speak to people any forums at all and there is a power hour which will be coming out on my website soon and I will do an hour with any charity and give them advice on what they can do to possibly help their charities it's called a power hour with Julie Kent MBA and that'll be coming out in my on all my platforms. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. I love that. So anyone that's listening, definitely go over and give Julie a follow and, and show her a love. And this also will be in the show notes. So if you guys click on it, if you didn't write that down. But Julie, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me. I love what you do. And I'm glad that I'd love that you followed a passion and turned it into something. So thank you so much. So guys, if you like what you hear, please share this podcast, subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating and review. Thank you, Julie, so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Have a great day, everyone. Yes, we'll see you later, guys. Thank you. I hope you liked this episode of Next Stop Crazy Town. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends, and join in every week. For more information, check out nextstopcrazytown.com.